you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with Varican Capital Management, Inc. Welcome to the next episode of Bare Naked Money. Colin here with a very super special guest, Mitch. Hey, Mitch, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me here today, Colin. Mitch is in the uh, the Ontario region with our firm. He's been with us for a while here, and he's super keen. And we're excited to give him a shot here on this world-famous podcast. So today we're going to talk about first-time home savings accounts or something. And I, just before we come on air, I was saying, do is there a special way to say that? Do we have to say Fahissa? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a play on words, right? Okay. Fair enough. I guess you'll have to explain that to me. I just hope that it's not like the TFSAs, which everybody calls the TSFA. Maybe we can keep this one straight. So maybe you can start by educating us on, on what these are. Can we start there? Yeah, absolutely. So we've actually been hearing a lot on this in the the news recently. I've, I've been seeing it all over LinkedIn, Facebook, TV commercials. So. I guess let's just go over the basics. The federal government created this new registered account type, as we just said, the first-time home savings account, which is essentially to help prospective first-time home buyers to save for their first home tax-free and help Canadians reach their vision of owning a home faster. However, similar to the RSP first-time home buyer program, there is a caveat. There are certain criteria in order to be eligible. So as part of that criteria, Again, similar to the RSP first time home buyer program. Uh, obviously, you have to be Canadian. You have to be 18 plus. You haven't owned a home in the past calendar year or in the previous four calendar years. And then your spouse hasn't owned a home as well. Additionally, with this type of account, you can make a maximum annual contribution of 8000 and a lifetime limit of $40,000. Yeah, but I, I think you missed the point of these accounts, so Mitch. The point of these accounts is for the liberals to get more votes and get reelected. That's that's the purpose of these accounts. You seem to think it's about buying a house, but I, I thought it was about getting votes. But maybe maybe buying houses. Maybe, maybe I thought the... I thought it was about housing affordability. Well, yes, because that's how you make houses more affordable. You put more money into the system and don't increase the number of units. But I'm sorry, now I'm just being a grumpy old man. You are, but but lastly, just an addition as a part of this program. So the first-time home buyer savings account, it can remain open for 15 years or until the end of the year in which you turn 71, similar to, again, the RSP buyer's program. I will say there are a few benefits with this type of account. So similar to an RSP, they'll receive a tax deduction for the contribution that you make in the calendar year. And similar to a tax-free savings account, you can actually make withdrawals from the account tax-free. So that's a good benefit. And then lastly, unlike the first-time RSP homebuyer program, you do not have to repay the withdrawals over that 15 years. There's no overpayment necessary. So I would say those are some key benefits to this type of account. Well, yeah, I mean, the money comes out tax-free, which is the big deal because the RSP homebuyers plan, if you didn't put the money back into your RSP, then you would just gradually have to take that money into income over a period of time. So that's the, the big striking difference about this type of an account is that it is a tax-free withdrawal for the stated purpose if you get there right so but what happens if you don't buy a house mitch so if you don't buy a house then you actually have the ability to transfer this money over to your rsp account 
and it will not affect your RSP contribution room available. So there's an added benefit from that sense. So for the narrow few people out there who have maxed out their RSPs, who are still working and have a desire for more tax deductibility and don't own a house, this could be used for an off-label purpose of putting more money into your RSP. Was, is that part of what we're seeing? You're, you're getting ahead of me. So there's, there's, two, there's two scenarios that I want to dive into. Uh, one scenario is related more to my peer group uh, in their early to mid-30s. And then another scenario is related more to your peer group in the you know early 50s to uh, late 50s. Wow. Ageism. Okay, fair enough. Not ageism, just, just in terms of planning, right? As we know, part of financial planning is different life stages. So we're going to go over two different life stages. That's kind of how I want to think about this from this perspective. Oh, sure. I'll, so, I'll, just sit, I'll just sit here, hurt. You can, you can go, on with your, go on with your story. I still love you. So first scenario, a young couple, a husband and wife, they're great savers. Let's just say they each contribute the lifetime maximum into the first home savings account, $40,000 each. They each receive the tax deductions, but they decide not to reinvest that into the tax-free savings account or their RSP. They, they, they plan to use it for discretionary spending. Additionally, they've each contributed $35,000 to the respective RSPs, also received the tax deductions, but again, decided not to reinvest those funds and use it towards discretionary spending. So combined between, this, between the couple for a down payment, hypothetically, they would have about $150,000 assuming no growth on these contributions. And now, you know, again, what I talked before about housing affordability, now let's just say for hypothetical purposes, the home costs about a million bucks, your down payment is 150 from the funds you just saved. How does that help housing affordability? Because there's another factor that people always forget about, mortgages. So the house is a million dollars, you have $150,000 for down payment, so now you have to apply for a mortgage of about $850,000. Another caveat, however, now you have to qualify for the mortgage. And as I'm sure we're all acutely aware, interest rates have risen quite drastically over the past 12 to 15 months. So now you have to qualify to even higher rates. So now just because you have this big lump sum of savings that can be used towards your down payment, you still have to qualify. And then you also have to think about can I still afford to live? So again, how does this account type solve the housing affordability crisis in Canada? Well, I think it's important to keep it in its place. So, so I'm sorry, one more time for my benefit as well as the listener's benefit. What's what's the maximum amount you can put into a first-time home, home savings account? So annually it's $8,000 and then lifetime $40,000. Okay, so let's, let's just do the math. So you can basically tax defer $40,000. So if you're in a 50% marginal tax bracket, then that's basically giving you an extra $20,000 towards the purchase of a home. That's the net effect if you maxed out the usefulness of this account. So for somebody who is able to be that disciplined for that period of time and has an income at a level that attracts that kind of tax benefit, best case scenario, this is going to put an extra $20,000 in your genes uh, to buy a house. And if you're in a market where the houses are a million dollars, I'm not sure $20,000 is going to make a whole lot of difference. But if you're in a market where housing prices are more modest, maybe $20,000 is important. So my fear 
for younger users of the account would be that uh, there's always a tendency or desire to get pulled along and stretch to buy a house that they could just barely afford and maybe over overstretch themselves a little bit because you can qualify to borrow more money in many cases than is really comfortable to owe. And so you can find yourself the whole expression house poor. And you got to be a little bit careful about that. You don't want to, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you've kind of locked yourself on a set of railway tracks where any small interruption in health, job, relationship, interest rates, anything is, is going to completely derail what you've done. So I think it, it's, it's important for people to make sure they still behave prudently and give themselves a little bit of wiggle room, even when they're using an account like this. So you agree with me then that it doesn't solve the housing. <laughs> that was a really long way to say yes. I, it doesn't, I don't think it makes as much of a difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, for people who are looking at this and saying this is going to solve all the problems, best case scenario is going to put an extra 20 grand in tax savings in your pocket to, to do something with. And for many people, they're not going to be completely efficient with using this. So, yeah, given the magnitude of the problem and what it costs to buy a house, I don't think it's going to solve much. But for those people who want to take advantage of every possible uh, idea or way to make make a difference, then yeah, absolutely. I can't so, wait for the second scenario. Sorry, I, I, I want to stick with this scenario. So, again, same scenario. Couple great savers have the ability to max out each the first time home savers pro sorry first time home savings account still play on awards for me as well as max out the rsps for the first time home buyers program now let's say you have a couple who's unsure if they can even afford a house or maybe three years down the line they decided saying hey a house is not for me now again i still think it's a great type of account where they receive the tax deductions like you said they're in the highest tax bracket max out now, the question is, in terms of investing, typically when a person would tell me that they're looking to buy a home in the next three to five years, I would say, let's make sure that your principal is protected and we have minimal risk because the reality is, is that you work so hard for your money. The goal is to preserve it, but also grow it at the same time steadily. And typically a house is the largest purchase a person will ever make during their lifetime. So from an investment perspective, what do you say for people who are unsure if they want to buy a house in the next three to five years to invest a bit more aggressively towards a longer time horizon? Or well, it, it, it depends on your personality type for sure. Right. So yeah, somebody is, yeah, we're gonna buy a house in three years' time. Put it in a high interest savings account. Don't mess around. Just make sure the money is available for you. If it's more of an abstract goal, it's like I might buy a house. Then you have a choice. You can, you know, lock it into a high interest savings account and get, you know, the four or five percent that's currently available out there, and know that the money is available there for you. And there's going to be that's not a variable. That's that's locked in. The other way to play it is to take a bit more risk. And if you're not sure, invest the money long term. Long term investing typically will give you better rates of return over the long term. But you're opening yourself up to the opportunity that we could see a market correction over the next two, three, four, five years. And we will. Mm -hmm. Sometime over the next five years, we'll see some kind of correction. So you'll watch the account drop in value. Now, if you're the kind of person that says, well, when I want to buy a house, I want to buy a house, I'm just going to cash the account out, then that's probably not a good strategy for you. If you're the kind of person that says, well, market conditions aren't really great right now, so I'll let this account recover before I buy a house. If you are willing 
to surrender some of the control over the conversation, then maybe invest for the long term. Because clients who take money out when things are up and leave money in when things are down have more money to spend over the lifetime. That's not an easy thing to do because most people have priorities that they put ahead of where the value of an account is at any point in time. So, you know, typically I would tell people if you're going to spend the money in the next couple of years and you're pretty sure of it, leave it in a daily interest account. If you invest long term, you open yourself up to the opportunity that that money could diminish in value significantly mm-hmm. when you go to use it. And that's probably not a risk that's worth taking. If you have the money to do what you want to do, don't gamble. Just keep it in a daily interest account and and do your thing. Uh, if you invest longer term, you open yourselves up to, yeah, the account could go down in value and or you're not going to have enough money to do what you want when you want to do it. Yeah, no, I agree with you for sure. The other scenario that I thought about where I think this could be a great planning tool is the scenario is a retired couple in their late 50s, recently sold their home, decided to downsize to a condo and invested the leftover proceeds. And to continue with this scenario, they've maximized their RSP contribution room available. They have each maxed out their tax-free savings account. So these leftover proceeds have now been invested in a non-registered account. And the other caveat to the scenario is that um, it's been a few years and now They've met the eligibility criteria for the first-time home savings account. So they have the opportunity to maximize the 8K annual contributions uh, to this type of account. So now let's just say it's an additional five years later, they each max out the lifetime limit of 40K. As you mentioned earlier, uh, again, let's just assume they're in the highest tax bracket. They They each get back a 20K tax deduction, and this account can be open uh, for, for additional 15 years, and then they can transfer the proceeds over to their account. So, so a couple of comments. Number one is it's still going to depend, it's, it's, as with all RSPs, you're, it's a tax deferral. So you want to make sure the tax deferral still makes sense. So typically, you need to have a high tax rate at the time of contribution and expected in the future that you're going to have the same or lower tax rate. So that that math still absolutely makes sense. The other thing is you're, you're talking about a, an off-label use. Like this is not why the program was launched. So you could face an administrative change at some point in the future that makes that somehow a little bit less attractive because you know, the, if it's seen as people are doing something with this account that was not intended or doing something with this account that's not helping to address the housing issue, that you know, there could be an administrative change. So I would hesitate, and actually with this this account in general, I would hesitate to make an eight-year projection with it because it does open itself up to being changed. Every federal budget that comes out, they can announce an additional change to this. So I don't think that this helps the housing crisis or the affordability, but I do think that it's a great planning tool because the way I look at it, you get the tax deduction. You can then use that tax deduction or the money you receive back and then use that to contribute to whether it's your TVSA the following year or if you have RSP contribution room available or use that towards discretionary expense that you have in mind. To, to all of my spreadsheet friends out there, this is a great tool. You can spreadsheet the piss out of this and you you could optimize and shave some, some nickels around the corners and have all kinds of fun with it. The only thing that's going to address the housing issue is more houses. So... Adding more money to make housing affordable is not going to fix the problem. It's nice that we're trying to help and the government's trying to do something, but really we just need to build more houses. 
to Mitch's point, yeah, this is a planning tool. This is a way to, if you're going to keep track and if you're going to be trying to completely maximize everything you're doing, yeah, this is something. It doesn't seem, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Mitch, there's no real down, there's no way you can really screw up. Like there's no way that you would suffer any kind of a penalty or potentially end up worse off for using an account like this. Uh, yeah, I haven't read anything that would make me think otherwise. I, I just think that it's a great planning tool for, again, people in your peer group mm-hmm. who have the ability and the access cash or the or the access cash flow or the non-registered accounts to, to be able to take advantage of this account type. Yeah, no, and it's, and it's we we are seeing now more of the more of the firms are actually offering this account because again, it's one thing for the government to announce something exists. But then it's up to the industry to actually make these accounts available. So I I think we're starting to see that open up going into next year that there's going to be a few more providers uh, offering this type of account. So yeah, no, I think it's a legit planning tool. The 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 basic premises of planning on tax deferrals still apply. What is the tax rate you're putting the money in? And what's the projected tax rate of it coming out? If it's coming out as zero tax, then that's automatically good. Uh, but if it's going to potentially come out at another tax rate, you need to keep that in mind. So it has, and it also has the the basics of what timeline are we investing for? Are we investing to have this money available, leaving a daily interest account, or are we going to do something longer term with it and be willing? You to You got ahead of me, because in terms of investing, if you have a longer time horizon now, and you have the willingness and the ability to take on risk, would you invest? Quite aggressively trying to achieve completely depends on the individual right so yeah it's if you want to open yourselves up to the volatility of the markets because if if this money is going to come out tax-free at some point for a home purchase well yes the more money you make tax-free the tax-free earnings just taste better so there's there's that kind of motivation but i would suggest that anybody who takes part in one of these plans don't risk the purpose. Like, don't don't put yourself in a position that an investment loss is going to completely derail or wipe out your chances to buy a house. It's if you're gonna if you're gonna take chances, make sure that there are chances in the margin that are not going to, as I think it would be unnecessary for somebody who's sitting in a, in a situation where they could potentially buy a house, but then make an investment decision that takes them out of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I I I don't think that that would be smart. So whenever you're talking about the level of risk somebody has in their portfolio, it's like, okay, what's the downside here? Like if I if I suffer a twenty percent loss in this account, does that mean I won't be able to afford to buy any house? And if that's the case, then this, I would suggest very few people would want to put themselves in that situation. One thing that I haven't read and not entirely clear on is for those individuals who are contributing to this account type. And who 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 decide that they no longer want to purchase a home, but don't want to transfer these funds, tax deferred over to the RSP, what the penalty will be for withdrawing the funds? Have you read anything? I have not read, but I would intuit that it just becomes a taxable withdrawal. I know it becomes a taxable withdrawal, but the question is, at what rate? Well, and, and this is when these new programs come out. I'm sure I'm not even sure that if you read all the literature that they would have all of that. That's the kind of stuff that's going to become available over the next little bit. But yeah, I, I, I'm comfortable enough that the worst case scenario, you move it into RSP and then you have to pull it out at the current tax rate. Mm-hmm. You know, so if it's 
eligible to be moved to an RSP. I don't think it's going to be another one like the RESPs that have an additional tax payable on growth if it's withdrawn for non-education uh, purposes. I don't think they're going to do that because otherwise they wouldn't have made it rollable into an RSP, which would just attract normal taxation. That's a good point. But that's uh, that's that's common sense. That's that's assuming that's it common. moves a straight line, and sometimes it doesn't. So, but I, I would be careful. I mean, it, for somebody who's in it is a good saver who has a spreadsheet who's tracking everything. This this could be something that helps optimize. And those kinds of people would typically have the ability to roll things into an RSP fairly quickly or easily. I also would avail themselves of that. This this really is a planner's tool. Like this is for people who really take their shit seriously. Uh, so we I, both I agree that it's a great planning tool. Then up to the new account type, it's great. It can be. All tools can be great. I mean, a hammer can build a house or it can be a murder weapon. Depends on how you use it. So I think that it's a, it is a tool that could be used for good. You think it's going to revolutionize saving for a home? That's a good question. I think it will make people think more about saving for a home and think about saying, okay, can it, let me try to maximize $8,000 annual limit oh. and get the ta- and they get the tax deduction. But on the flip side, they might say to themselves, will this even make a significant impact in even trying to purchase a home? Well, I think for some people, it'll put some structure around the conversation because some people like are saving towards buying a house, but it's kind of a nebulous thing. They may or may not have an account set up for it. And it's kind of an ad hoc thing. So this is a specific account type that you have to specifically go and open that is specifically for a certain purpose. So it's kind of forcing some structure around it. I think there's structure around it, but I think the challenge more specifically for my peer group is liquidity. Mm -hmm. So typically people want to have access or want to at least know that they have access to these funds. Now, the, and then the follow-up question becomes, just again, for pure access purposes, doesn't make sense to max out my TVSA first. And then once that's maxed out, then start to look at the first-time home savings account. Well, but the, the, then it comes into a whole conversation about priority of goals. Because TFSAs, you get no tax break on the way in, but longer term, they can be as effective or more effective than a RSP for building long-term retirement wealth. So they don't have the upfront hit that these accounts have. So I think that TFSAs have a role in most people's financial plan at some level or another. It's a matter of prioritizing, here are the five things I want to get accomplished, and here's the percentage of my disposable income on a monthly basis I'll put towards each of these goals. I think, so I agree with everything that you're saying. I guess what I'm trying to emphasize is the the mindset. So, you know, you mentioned structure, discipline, but the challenge is, is that for people want to know that they have immediate access to these funds. And if you contribute these funds to your first time home savings account, yes, you get the tax deduction, you get the tax break, the great account type, but they know that if they put it towards their tax free savings account, that they have more peace of mind. Yeah, and that comes with balancing everything, right? So, I mean, the, one of the, the the basic tenets of financial planning is to have an emergency fund, so that there's no short-term emergency that's going to show up that you need a new fridge, you need a new roof, you need a big car repair. That you're looking to your other accounts to get that money. So you should either have money sitting in your checking account, or you should have a short-term savings account, or the ability 
to take on debt to pay those kind of things, depending on circumstance. So any longer-term goal that you set out to achieve needs to, as a matter of process, make sure that the short-term functioning of your financial world is not impaired. Like you don't want to take, I've got $5,000 in savings that I'm keeping you know, on hand in case something goes wrong. I'm going to put that into this. Well, you just changed the purpose of the money. It's gone from being short-term, easily available money to something that's a longer-term goal. So you no longer have the short-term money. And that's a, that's a shift in your planning. And you need to be aware of what that is doing to your financial situation. You've made it more fragile. When you get rid of short-term liquid money, you've made your financial situation more fragile. It's more likely there's going to be an event that's going to cause you to have to make some lifestyle choices. I agree with you completely, surprisingly. I know you're sitting there waiting to disagree with me, and I'm, I'm waiting for you to disagree with me as well, because I'm so old, I can't possibly understand what the under, younger generation is going through. But no, I think I think you're, you're onto it. This is a tool, and it's a tool that needs to be properly used and understood. And I think there's enough out there that I won't call it benign. I think another scenario I just thought of right now can be a great planning tool is for for parents looking to help their children out in terms of a down payment for a house. So to my understanding, there are no attribution rules. So if a parent gives their child $1,000 a year annually, take advantage of the account, there's no attribution rules back to the parent, money can be invested. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it would be However, tax to, it'd be tax deductible in the kids' names. Now, parents, be careful. The number of times in my career I've seen this kind of stuff go sideways because the parent all of a sudden stops disagreeing with or stops agreeing with the plan the kids are making, or there's matrimonial issues between the child and their spouse, and the animosity that kicks up. So just be careful. Don't 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 have too high. When you give somebody money, it's best to just treat it as a gift and walk away. That's the, absolutely the best. So, but yeah, the, it could be used in that way, but it still would be an account in the child's name. The parents wouldn't be able to go in and take the money out or have no. It's still be an account in the child's name, but I guess what I didn't elaborate on is that let's say the child doesn't have that excess cash flow to max out the first time home savings account, and the parent would like to help their child purchase a home well then this like we're going over the tax deductions before maybe the child may be in a lower tax bracket but again you're still getting that tax deduction back from the government and potentially helping be able to afford a modest home no absolutely absolutely as with many things in life many things i don't i used to say all things but i now say many things there's a place and time for this now i think it'll be interesting to see and it's only going to come out of having a whole bunch of real world conversations with real world people to figure out where it actually fits in the zeitgeist as far as how much it's going to be used, how often it's going to be used. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a whole bunch of moving parts to that. Then it'll be interesting to watch it play out. Maybe we should diarize doing a, a retrospective on the FISA accounts in five years time, just to, to, to dig into them to find out how they actually were used. Five years. I'm more interested in what's going to happen next year at this time. Well, next year, this time, we could have a new government who comes in and wipes out the program altogether and has a better plan for housing. Who knows? Also, also a good point. Who knows? We forget that, again, like the, just before the Liberals got in power this time, the tax-free savings account contribution limit was $10,000 for a year. And there was a change in government, and they rolled it back right away. So, again, these 
these programs do change from year to year. And this is the value of having a financial advisor or financial planner going through your stuff with you. Because at every moment in time, you should take a look at where your priorities currently are, where you are on the path to accomplishing all your various goals, and the best way to use all the programs that are out there to your advantage. But recognize that doing a five-year projection is probably pointless because many of these programs can change over that time. And I guarantee you <laughs> that your your objectives are going to change over that five-year period. You're going to have different priorities. Everybody does as they grow. Absolutely. Life is, life is going to throw things at you. No, I couldn't agree more. So have you exhausted all of your bullet points, Mitch? I've exhausted all of them for now, Colin, but we're going to have to revisit. Can't wait to hear the comments. So if you have a comment, there's something we didn't talk about or something you want us to explore, then by all means, reach out. We do take requests. We have done uh, many podcasts based on requests. So uh, feel free to reach out. But until next time, this is Colin and Mitch. Thanks for tuning in to Bare Naked Money. Like and share. And I hope we're going to hear you again soon. Or hope you hear us again soon. Thanks. If you're breaking a sweat trying to figure out what your financial advisor is talking about, you're not getting the service you need. You probably hate trying to get an answer from them, but you also think moving your accounts will be a headache. And it might be. But working with DontRockTheBoatWealthPlanning.com or .ru isn't exactly stress-free, is it? Call us. We will demystify the world for you. Veracan Capital Management Inc. is a registered portfolio manager in all of Canada except Manitoba. So sorry, Manitoba. Nothing in this podcast should be considered as a solicitation or recommendation to buy or sell a particular security. Statements made by the portfolio managers are intended to illustrate their approach and are meant for information and entertainment purposes only. This should not be construed as legal, tax, or accounting advice. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.